Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Here in the Northern Rockies, dark winter months are outlasted in basements, dens, and nooks where kindred souls gather together to share intel, swap fly patterns, and relive the memories from seasons past. This gathering spot known locally as the February Room is the inspiration for this podcast. No matter the season, the door is always open to those with a fly fishing story to tell. Brought to you by CD Fishing USA the North American distributor for composite development fly rods and accessories. 40 years of Kiwi ingenuity and graphite technology now available at cd-fishing.us or your local CD USA dealer. Follow us on Instagram, YouTube, and Facebook. And remember to go fishing. Here's your host, the Carnops, and this is the February Room. When the fishing is tough, guides need to step up their game. And when guides have thrown every fly known to man with still no bites, some guides rely heavily on the meal of the trip to provide a better experience. My next guest is a private chef, a caterer, a food truck operator, and a well-versed guide on multiple rivers in both Montana and Wyoming. Scott Nache, thank you for joining me today. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. And with an introduction like that, I know you have some fishing stories and I can't wait to hear one. (laughs) Um, most certainly. And I think you're asking for a few, but I'll start with this one. And this is kind of, I think it ties in a little bit with what's been happening in the past with guiding and especially what we're seeing now kind of post COVID and try to keep this, you know, as positive as possible too. So 
And I'm sure uh, many guys have encountered this uh, or something similar, but you know, this was back in, I want to say 2000, probably seven or eight. And I was working for a, uh, an outfitter and shop outside of Pinedale, Wyoming at the time, and was guiding and had been guiding with some friends the previous two, three days before. And the fishing was it was a you know traditional mid September day, just really, really, really good fishing. And so I was really excited to take this person out. I've never met this person before, and you know especially for a first timer, you know, you've got everything in your favor. You're kind of looking forward to a good day and. As I always do, I try to keep it super positive. And so the day begins meeting the client at the shop and it's a older husband and wife. And you see this really disturbed look on both their faces. And, you know, the shop owner introduces himself. I introduce myself and they just kind of go right into the wife. They were kind of seemed like they were arguing. <laughs> I mean, I kind of came down to so like, well, you know, this is what we're going to do, blah, blah, blah. And. The wife just says, oh, I'm going back to the hotel room. And we're like, <laughs> okay, great. And so the gentleman wants to go. <laughs> he has got, I mean, he is angry. You can tell he's angry. And so, you know, we fill out, you know, get everything dialed up um, in the shop, get in my truck. We're heading to the river and I kind of do in my spiel and which is, you know, kind of running through the day and, you know, how to fish out of a boat in case I never have, you know cast a 10 and 2 and all the safety features this that and the other and so we start the day and it's one of those just epic days i mean they're chugging dry flies all day out the gate the guy just he has zero skill i mean he is <laughs> botching fish left and right can't <laughs> fish, not a single fish and so i'm keeping my mouth shut just like you know giving some minor pointers just because i don't really know where this is going to go for the day and I didn't really want to exacerbate the situation anymore but you know trying to give him some pointers to you know catch a fish for the day and is so, he angry angry the whole day not saying a word okay. I'm trying to be jolly and tell stories he's not even responding we're trying to catch fish I mean there's just pot after pot after pot of fish you can't not catch one <laughs> so we're at lunch I'm trying to, you know, make something of the day and, you know, now I'm starting to get into, I need to really kind of teach this guy a little bit, give him some heavy pointers. And as soon as I start doing that, he just basically tells me to shut up. Like, no. Yes. <laughs> like, all right, well, you know, here's the deal. Like, you know, we're transitioning now. We're going to start seeing some mahoganies and, you know, we look downstream, there's fish chugging everywhere. We go, we continue, we launch <clears throat> after lunch. Still can't catch a fish. We're an hour and a half, two hours into this. Mind you, you know, this guy's having a horrible day. I'm trying to keep everything positive and, you know, hey, you know, we, we got plenty of opportunity. Don't worry. You know, it's just one of those days. And he's just angry looking at me. Now he's starting to blame me. Oh, gosh. I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know this. I don't know that. So, you know, it's probably about 3.30. We're kind of getting close to the takeout. We're maybe like a mile and a half, two miles from the takeout. And mind you, and I'm, I've probably left a few things out of here. There's been some F-bombs thrown throughout the day, and I'm, I've got alligator skin. At you or at, like, the fish? Both. <laughs> Both? <laughs> Both? Oh, my God. So 
finally we get this, I see this pot of like, it's probably about five or six huge fish. And there's browns, there's rainbows, there's cutties rising. It's just the perfect inside bend situation. Don't really need to mend too hard. I mean, this is like, get it in front of them, you know, a good five, six feet, get a nice drift, catch a fish. It's really that simple. Guy couldn't do it. And finally turns to me, he goes, you do it. You show me how to do it. I was like, okay. No joke. <laughs> First cast, boom, 22-inch cutty. <laughs> I, the, the crimson just exploded into his face. I, <laughs> I met the fish. I'm like, this. I'm like, here, this is all you're going to do is just cast above them, little upstream men, maybe even just a reach cast in there. They're going to eat it. He takes my rod, and mind you, this is a. I think back then I was I was using Sage XP, a really pretty expensive. Mm, rod. Yes, real takes my rod, throws it on the bottom of the boat, explodes the reel and the fly rod. I was like, "That's it, you're done, out the boat, you're walking." Oh you, my gosh, are you kidding me? Oh, no, I've, I've I've never had to deal with this sort of abuse from any client before and you know it was like i kind of reached the threshold after several hours of just taking verbal abuse so he was refusing to i was like no you are getting out of my boat otherwise we are not moving in fact i can get out right here because i know the property owner and i'm going to walk away and i'm going to take the oars and you're not going to be able to walk so he gets out the boat and run like starts running towards this little county road and I immediately call the shop, tell him the situation. Well, and while I'm doing that, this guy finally gets cell phone signal. He's calling the shop, screaming, trying to cancel his credit card. And I explained my situation to my uh, outfitter. And he's like, screw this guy. And lo and behold, you know, we still end up getting paid and never saw the gentleman again. You know, it's interesting because I was talking to somebody about this is that I think when people expect to purchase something, they have a service that they sometimes expect that person to be their server and servant. And that's not the case. Like you are providing a, an experience guide service. Um, and people are abused people, also nurses, flight attendants, you know, just because they pay for something, they expect them to serve them. And that's just not the way that the system works. No, not at all. And unfortunately, you know, especially after lockdown, um, I think um, people's, they're just not just super sensitive, but the expectations are through the roof. And, you know, a lot of people are just so on edge. And I guess the moral of the story for me is like, you know, you always got to be patient. And But there is a, there is a time, a, a threshold. And Absolutely. <laughs> what did you say when the guy told you to shut up and told you to F? You know, because the thing is when people tell me to shut up, because it's only happened a couple of times, mm -hmm. it take it's almost like I get kicked in the gut. I, I have no idea how to respond to that. How did you keep your cool? I was just like, listen, I really don't appreciate you talking like this. You know, I've been fishing this river for over a decade now. I'm I'm well established in the valley and I'm sorry for you know, I just kind of went off and turned it back around on him and kept it positive. And that's really all you can do at that point. Yeah, I just, I always feel that there's um, my younger sister who she, she's very well versed when it comes to um, 
problem solving in in tough situations like that. And um, I find that to be very um, a good characteristic to have because I'm always like, oh, I'm sorry. Did I hurt your feelings when I know clearly it's the other, you know, that I'm just being a little bitch and I should be standing up for myself. But especially when you're a guide and you're stuck on the boat for like another six hours, you're like, okay, um, I'm taking that the lunch didn't help at all on that on that trip. Well, and this was sort of pre uh, kind of fly fishing chef package. So, okay. And unfortunately, the lunches we were getting then um, were less than desirable let's put it that way (laughs) what what kind of lunch was back then like what was the normal lunch that was served to your guests well that back then there was a little sandwich shop that was doing the lunches for us and you would get a probably seven day old dry ciabatta bread (laughs) god knows what kind of meat you were lucky to get ham or turkey. If beef roast beef was in there, you were kicking your heels. I mean, <laughs> a really mealy tomato, um, soggy lettuce, a stinky onion, um, cheap packets of mayo and mustard. And the top of, I mean, the worst of it was this macaroni salad that I think was made with Miracle Whip. <laughs> I have to say, there's nothing worse than a wet lettuce on a sandwich. It's the grossest thing ever. It's, I'd rather chew wet cardboard at that point. Oh, uh, you know, it's interesting because I just had my first, and I've probably, I've never had a guided trip because I obviously am married to Justin. And so why would I pay for someone to take me fishing when I already have my own personal fishing guide? Sure. But we did finally go on our first guided trip. And um, I always help Justin with his lunches um, for the guide season. So I like to make something that's really good. Um, You know, I think the elements that you need to have is something that can stay fresh in the afternoon, but is also tasty and is also something that everyone in the group can like. But this guided trip, he gave us um, a sandwich. And first off, the fishing was awesome. And we had a great time. And And he was younger. He was in his 20s awesome personality, super excited. Like anytime you caught a fish, he was like, right on. So excited. I was like, wow, you are, you are on it. Like he was very personable, but when it came to the lunch, it was a sandwich. And then we got to pick out what chips we wanted, like Doritos, Fritos. And then it was a cookie at the end. And I was like, wow, this is the typical, you know, lunch that I probably was expecting, you know, back in the old days. But I feel that guides now, um, because like I was saying in the beginning, you can't really control the fishing, but you can control what's going to go in someone's mouth. So tell me a little bit about how your evolution from your, (laughs) the back in the day of the old ciabatta bread to now. Well, pretty simply, um, you know, after talking, you know, to especially newer clients or clients that I've never had before, you know, we start talking about ourselves and I tell them what I do and they find out you're a chef. Well then the combination of, finding out you're a chef and then you hand them this disgusting lunch. It's sort of, I got sick and tired of hearing why is this so, or it was a combination of they wouldn't even eat the lunch or they would quite literally complain like, how come you didn't make our lunch? I I just got sick and tired of hearing it. (laughs) It made sense for me to start making my own lunch. And I, and from that point, I was still working for this fly shop at the, at the time. I was like, Hey guys, you know, I really appreciate you guys, you know, making our lunch, but can you just, you know, reimburse me whatever the $10 that you're paying for the lunch and I'll do my own. 
And that's kind of where it all started. You know, I can't believe you do that because like I said, I help Justin because on a guy day, you're off the river. You know, you start your mornings at 530 in the morning. Oh, yeah. Off the river. But then you're having to clean the boat, clean the truck. And then I couldn't imagine at the end of the day having to make a lunch. How do you do that? Um, you know, I, I kind of keep it simple or simpler and stick to like, you know, three or four items. And it's just like anything when you're cooking, like, and you know, it's just like anything else, staying ahead of the game. <clears throat> so, you know, making bulk potato salad or, you know, a, a nice bean salad and that can go, that can last for days and just being prepared, you know, ordering everything ahead of time and not going to the grocery store every single day just to make three lunches and, um, mm-hmm. fresh. What is your favorite meal to make lunch to make on the river? Cause mm. I always have, like I said, my hardest thing, my hardest when it's coming to making a meal for the river is that you want it to be fresh, but it's been sitting in the cooler. What's your go-to meal? Well, it depends on what season. So like, you know, the winter and the spring, I like to do, you know, soup and sandwich. I mean, uh, mm. or chili or gumbo or something like that. Something to warm them up when it's, you know, 41 degrees or even colder, it's chilly out there. And it's nice to have a comforting meal. Um, but in this, you know, in the warmer months, I mean, it can be anything. Sometimes I'll make a tuna niçoise salad and just have a big old pile of that. Or Ooh, what it, is that? It's a classic uh, French salad with um, tuna and potatoes and beans and peppers, tomatoes, um, hard boiled egg. Uh, anchovies and a French vinaigrette. Oh my gosh, that sounds delicious. And it's great. It's filling, it's light. Um, it's got protein. It's easy to make. You throw it in a in a container and hand them a fork and it's you don't have to sit there and make a sandwich and you know a side and fruit and a cookie or whatever some sort of sweet. It's uh it's actually quite easy and you can make that a few days in advance and do that every single day and have it ready in five minutes. Have you seen that your lunches have saved the day when it comes to having a horrible day on the water? hundred <laughs> percent. Absolutely. I was just curious though. So how did the, um, how did you get into cooking? Like, is that something that you've done your entire life? Pretty much. I mean, I can remember my grandmother's Italian or was Italian. I mean, she passed away many years ago, but ever since I was a little kid watching her cook, and I started kind of jumping in when I was like seven. Um, and, you know, from that point on, I would, you know, make myself lunches on occasion growing up, you know, seven, eight, nine, ten years old. And uh, my first um, professional opportunity was at 14. Wow. D- doing what? Long story short, at that point, I was a caddy at a golf club during the day and a busboy at night. After, you know, the golf season, I was um, being a busboy, you know, after school or whenever on the weekends and Easter Sunday, 1988, um, I get there about 530 in the morning and set up for, we had two seatings of 700 or no, 350 people, 700 total that day. And just do my busboy work, you know, clean glasses and set up silverware, this, that, and the other. And chef comes up to me and He's like, you know how to make an omelet? I was like, sure. He's like, show me. So I did. And he's like, you're on the omelet station today. I was like, okay. <laughs> and at 14? I, 14. I even have I even have a picture of it. 
It's my first day ever. You'll have to send it to me. I will. And um, that day, after that day, the chef comes up to me. He's like, he's like, you're not a busboy anymore. You want a job in the kitchen? I was like, sure. And that's, that's when it all started. Doesn't it get a little exhausting? Because I feel that sometimes being the best at being a guide and a chef, like you have to, you're, you have a higher platform to perform to everyone. Everyone's looking at you like, okay, he's a great guide and he has some good lunches. So when you're sitting there prepping the lunch, are you just like, gosh, I hope I don't screw this one up for them. I've talked myself up as a chef. No, I mean, I'm not to toot my own horn, but beep, beep. I'm pretty damn confident. (laughs) I love it. See, that's, you have to have confidence. Yes. For sure. I mean, anything you do, I think, you know, when I first started guiding, I was probably a little hesitant, especially out West. I mean, you know, I, I knew what I was doing, but, you know, it, with, you know, experience, you know, it takes time. And so, you know, I've been doing this quite a long time. So I feel confident in both the guiding and the cooking side. What brings you joy with guiding? I mean, we know that food is a really big part of your life, but why guiding? Why not just quit guiding and just do the chef thing? <laughs> That's a good question. Um, I mean, I truly, I have a passion for both. I really do. Um but quite honestly, it w- the reason I do it is to kind of break up the monotony and keep it fresh. I mean, mm-hmm. you can get up, guides, I mean, call it Angry August, everyone. If you're guiding and you're on day 95 or 102, you're burnt out. And so yes. it's, a, it's a balance thing for me. Because you've seen the burnout with... Um... You felt the burnout with guiding, obviously. So you're trying. How many days? On, I guess I should ask. How many days on are you on the river? It, on the water? It's changing right now. And like this last season, I'll be honest, I only did 27 days total. Um, I was so busy with the cooking this season, I, I could not procure any help. So I, I kind of focused in on the cooking a little more this season and didn't take as many guide trips and try to leave some time for myself to fish too. I mean, I don't get to do that anymore. So this season was a little bit more about, you know, focusing on my business and taking care of me. I love that. I mean, the burnout is real. You know, a lot of guides and and not speaking for all of them, but the majority of them get to the point where they don't even like to fish anymore. So, um, which is so hard because fishing is obviously an enjoy, it's supposed to be an enjoyable sport. But I think when you start catering to other people, um, the idea of the being on the water gets taken away. So Mm -hmm. I think that a lot of guides are doing exactly that, like trying to be a guide, but also have another option. So that way they don't get to the burned out stage um, and not enjoy it. I know Justin got to that stage and actually the first the first few years that I met him because he had just been guiding for and outfitting think he was for five years and I never saw him fish for two years and then he finally picked it up because he really got to the point where he didn't even like being on the water anymore totally you know and I think I'm fortunate enough too I've got a pretty long list of regular clientele so I've been able to curate my calendar that way and not really have to take on new clients um you know I'll do I'll help like you know, Peter Skidmore out on occasion, if it's a good client of his or somebody else that I know, but I've got, at this point, I kind of pick and choose my battles. Like I'll, I really don't, I haven't been taking on too many new clients in the last two two or three years, which is great. I think that's when you become 
you know, when the hard work pays off because then those clients really become friends and you don't have the client that comes in fighting with after his wife and having a really crappy day. And, um, you know, it was funny because you were saying about how um, this gentleman never had any fly fishing experience before going on the boat. And uh, we've had this, this talk numerous times with other anglers that I think before you get on the boat, you should have you should have like an hour requirement of like wade fishing because fly fishing on a boat is a totally different game. Um, you really need to understand how to present the fly, um, where it needs to land, where it needs to be from 45 degrees from the boat, streamer fishing. You just need to have those because on the boat, you got to be moving. You got to move fast. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, I've been actually kind of suggesting this on social media a few times here and there where, I implore people to, you know, get on YouTube and watch some videos. I mean, it goes a long way. I mean, if you're not willing to take some fly casting lessons prior to your trip, then I think this is the best approach to it. And if not, then you're, it's going to be a difficult, you're going to have to learn along the way. And heck, as a guide, that's half our, you know, part of our job responsibility for sure. But, you know, I think it's a two way street. I know we were just talking about earlier, the holiday season is definitely coming up and a lot of people love to eat. I am one of them. <laughs> and it's a lot about balancing. Um, how do you get balancing food and timing and people like you need to see people, but you need to cook. And so I'm hoping that you have some recommendations when it comes to the holiday feasts that are most likely coming up for a lot of families. Planning, 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 organize, organize, organize. You can never be too far ahead of the game. Um, you, you know, it, there's so many moving parts and what a, a cook or a chef does, especially when you're running your own business. I mean, you wear, you know, three, four, five, six hats at once. So, you know, anything you can do ahead of time to make your life easier and not procrastinate, uh, that's huge. I mean, from every so, if, like for Thanksgiving dinner, for example, if you could, you know, one of the most important ingredients, minus the turkey, it, to me is the turkey stock to make the gravy. So, I mean, I do a quadruple fortified stock. I start the stock. I'm on ver, um, <laughs> version two of the stock right now, and I'm about to fortify it probably two more times. There's so many. You can prepare your meal a few days in advance too. And there's a lot of ways to approach that. And, you know, trying to scramble on day of, um, that's difficult. Cause you don't want to be angry about it, right? I mean, the whole point of holidays is to enjoy it, but sometimes a lot, I mean, I've, I'm so lucky that Justin loves to cook. And I like to cook. If I have to do it, I'm okay at it. I mean, mm -hmm. people like my food, but you know, I'm not in there like, ooh, where's my cilantro? Like, if I don't have a garnish, I'm like, ah, screw it. Like, what else oh. can I use to make this come together? At least people eat it. Um, if you have, say it's New Year's Eve, what are you serving for New Year's Eve? Like, what is your go-to plate that you know everyone's going to enjoy? I don't know if I have an answer to that question, but other than... You know, and it's so funny. I'm, I was just texting back and forth with my longstanding client who I'm doing their New Year's Eve dinner this year. And we've been texting back and forth on, you know, kind of what to do. But typically it ends up being some sort of like festive red meat, you know, um, yes. or something lighter. Depends on, you know, 
how much you're entertaining or going to Christmas parties. And, you know, if you're doing two, three parties or five of them, you know, between the middle of December and through New Year's, I mean, you're probably having the same thing over and over and over. So people are starting to like lighten up a little bit. So it could be a nice, you know, really nice winter themed fish dish, keeping it light. So I kind of listen to my clients and see what they're thinking and curate menus and tailor them around them. Yeah. I was actually just going to say, I was looking at your website and I know that you say that your approach to cooking is finding kind of local seasonal ingredients. Mm -hmm. So you really kind of focus on what's around you. So like right now, um, what are you looking at in your hometown right now? That would be, I mean, I guess it's wild game season, pheasants. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Like, do you do a lot of catch? I mean, if there's some fish that you catch, have you ever cooked up one of the fish that you've um, caught? Very rarely. And if I do, I, I prefer if they come out of like a high mountain stream or lake. Um, I Why find, is that? I find that um, a lot of the fish or trout that you get in the rivers and streams of Intermountain West are kind of fishy and mealy. Mm-hmm. So, you know, when they're in the high mountain streams and lakes, they have a completely different diet. Um, they eat a lot of scuds and the water is just cleaner and colder. So that colder water keeps that flesh firmer. I remember this one time Jess and I went, we went hiking and we did the, we caught some small, I mean, they were small fish, but we, that's what we had for dinner was uh, mountain, mountain brookies. Mm, yeah, it was so good. And this was years and years ago, but um, it's also something kind of when you catch what you eat um, or even kill what you eat, sure. there's a sense of really wanting to take good care of that meal and also eat everything. Oh, absolutely. You know, and I got a good, oh, I'd say maybe five or six clients that are, you know, hunters and, you know, you know, upland and waterfowl and big game. So on, a, on occasion, you know, they'll say, hey, I've got this, you know, wonderful elk backstrap, you know, can you come over and cook? And I'm like, sure, absolutely. But, um, you know, that doesn't really happen too often, but I do like to cook, you know, those products. And I have some great resources here in the United States that do some awesome farm raised stuff and like to put that on the menus uh, as much as I can, especially this time of year. Yes. What's the weirdest thing you've ever cooked? Mm, that's a good question. Cow brain. Cow brain? Yeah. Was it good? If you're open, <laughs> the, the awful, and then O-F-F-A-L, not A-W-F-U-L. Um, <laughs> it's quite delicious. It's kind of like, um, have, have you ever had sweetbreads? Yes. Very similar. Almost exactly the exact same texture. Almost exactly really? Almost the exact same texture as um, Rocky Mountain Oysters, too. Oh my gosh. Well, I guess maybe there's a reason why zombies are always trying to eat brains, I guess. Yes. (laughs) So Scott, tell me a little bit about your home waters. What makes them special? Um, you know, where we're at is a little over 7,000 feet above sea level and we're surrounded by mountains and a horseshoe. So a lot of cold water, um, and a lot of good fishing. <laughs> That's all. I'll leave it at that. What fish do you like to target when you're out there? Oh gosh, whatever's going to eat. But you know, we have um, brown trout. We've got 
two species of cutthroat, uh, rainbows, and the occasional cutbow. So we've got it all. Can you tell us another one more fishing story? Sure. I'll keep this one on a super positive one. And this is actually <laughs> and fun. And fr- oh, I love it. So, and this was, I think the same, this might've been the same year or the front and back end. I can't remember, but, and this is over the course of five days, mind you. So day five or day one was with a buddy of mine when we were fishing. Um, I'll just call just say the green river drainage. I won't say where, but mm-hmm. floating down the river conditions were awesome. We were catching a good amount of fish and my buddy's streamer fishing and, I was like, hey, man, just do me a favor. Toss that streamer over there by those two grass knobs about a foot or two above it, downstream men and strip. So he does, and probably one of the most aggressive takes I've ever seen in a streamer happen. Within seconds, it had eaten the streamer and ripped probably 50 yards back upstream from the tail out all the way to the top of the riffle. Gone. Boom. Day two, I'm guiding. Similar situation, I throw this streamer on, I tell the client, I'm like, hey, you know, there's there's these uh, two grass knobs coming around the bend. Yesterday we caught a really, I mean, a massive fish, we lost it. Let's just see if we'll try, if he's back there, we can try to catch him again. So I tell him, you know, throw the streamer two feet above it, downstream and strip, strip. Boom, same exact thing. All the way upstream, gets to the top of the riffle, off. It breaks off. Day three, guiding, different client. Same river, same situation. Hey, man, you know, take the streamer, those two grass knobs, throw it above two feet, downstream end, strip, strip. Boom. <laughs> same fish, does the exact same thing. All the way upstream. Now, this time, I actually get to see the fish. It's absolutely massive. I mean, it it had to have been at least a 28-inch brown every bit of 15 pounds. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, I was going to say it's got to be a brown. Oh, massive brown. Clients are just, like, blown away. And they actually made the day. So my buddy, the first day, he got really angry. Like, I get it. The other the yeah. two um, free-fishing clients... We're just super excited just to have that happen. Now, day four, same situation, same river, same everything. I'm taking uh, a client who's been living in this valley for over 30 years, and he's been fishing this river most of his life. Peter, I'm not kidding. This is, yes, three days in a row. You dreamer, <laughs> two grass knobs there. I want you to downstream mend it, strip, strip, and see what happens. I'm like he's like he's not going to be there. I'm like I don't know. It's three days in a row. We'll see. Boom. No <laughs> yeah. way. So in this case, we actually Peter was good enough. He got to run up all the way up to the riffle. Was able to turn him back around. We got him to almost the net, and then he broke off. But he was so ecstatic. He was like. Scotty, that was the, I've been fishing this for 30 years. It's the biggest trout I've ever caught anywhere around here. Grinning ear to ear. He, he, that fish was destined to just come and just give you a little glimpse of what, what you missed. But it's also one of those things where you're like, you love the resilience of that fish. Oh, totally. I mean, I like every time I 
you know, have a streamer fish, fisherman and we're in and around that area. I tell that story and they're like, are you going to be there? I'm like, I, that was 2000 and whatever. Haven't, it hasn't happened since. So probably never will. I mean, so, I mean, that was a once. He's gotten time. smarter at this point, maybe. Oh, no, I think it's gone. It's just not even, it's completely, the, the water change from ice heaval, oh. not the same run anymore. Yeah. I mean, that'll probably never, ever happen again in maybe my life term or anybody else's, really. And sometimes it's nice not to have a picture of that. Like, you can't even explain, like, a picture, you know, sometimes a picture is worth a thousand words, but it's also one of those things that, like, the memory of it makes it even more that genuinely special, you know? Oh, yeah. And I, you know, every year when I take Peter, he's just like, I, he tells that story and he's like still was never and then that was what 11 plus 12 years ago whatever it is I can't, I can't do math <laughs> well scott if people are wanting to um adventure with you have some meals prepped by you what's the best way of them getting in touch with you and uh, following you on my website for sure or okay media. um you know pretty i'm on instagram probably more than any of the other ones and what's the Instagram? What's what's your Instagram account? It's uh, Chef Scott Nache, all one word. Yep. And then the website's just chefscottnache.com. Go to thefebruaryroom.com where you can access a complete library of our podcast and read more about our guests, their fishing stories, and favorite fly patterns. We're always looking for exceptional fly fishing yarns. And if you have one to spin, shoot us an email at info at thefebruaryroom.com. The February Room is always free, but if you feel like throwing a nickel in the pond, we appreciate any additional listener support. For companies and individuals interested in sponsorship opportunities, please contact us for our media kit. Thanks for stopping by the February Room, and we'll see you down here next week.